morning. My name is Karen and I'll be doing our Bible reading this morning from Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 13. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a sentry came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralysed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Good morning, everybody. I think we need to start with prayer. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning. We come to you in the midst of all the chaos and craziness of life. Lord Jesus, we come to you out of a life which is nowhere near what we would like it to be. Lord, a life that is nowhere near as perfect or organised or beautiful or satisfying as we would like it to be. And we come to you, Lord Jesus, because we call you our Redeemer, our Saviour. Lord, you are the one who is our hope. And Lord, we just want you to make sense of our life. We want you to give us a perspective on this life that we live, that we would be able to live with joy, that we would be able to live with confidence and peace that we've just sung about. Lord, that our soul would be able to say, it is well with my soul, that despite the waves, despite the billows, despite the clouds, despite all that's happening, Lord Jesus, that we could be confident and at peace to say it is well with my soul. Lord, we come to you this morning because we need you to speak to us. Lord, we need to hear your words. We need to be encouraged by what you would want to say to us today. And Lord, I just pray that your word would come alive as we spend some time thinking about it. Lord, that you would drill deep down into our hearts and that you would implant the truth and the power of the truth of your word into our hearts. Lord, in the places where we struggle, in the places where the clouds gather, in the places where there's darkness, in, in the places where we feel like life has become impossible. Lord, that's where we need you. And that's what I believe you want to do. So Lord, we give you this time and ask that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Well, I reckon you can almost hear the buzz of the conversation as the people were coming down from the mountain. Such excitement, such a big crowd had gathered to hear Jesus as he talked to them and preached to them on the mountain. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. You can find it in Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7. But he was up there for a fair bit of time talking about all kinds of things about the kingdom of God and explaining to them what the kingdom of God is all about. He was describing to them about a life of blessing, a life of good relationships, a life of peace, a life of forgiveness, a life of answered prayer, a life of all the richness that God wants to bring into people's lives. And I can imagine the people had gathered, they were just soaking this up. This is good news. This is what we want. And so as he finished and they came down from the mountain and they were just talking and, you know, engaging with each other and, oh, wasn't that amazing? Wasn't this good? Wasn't On that bright sunny day, I guess it was, I don't know. But, you know, they were coming down from the mountain and as they enter Capernaum, which is Jesus' hometown, <coughs> there's crowd, people everywhere. All sorts of people gathered around and, and, and the crowd sorts of, sort of parts. And, and this one character, or maybe it was a, few, a, a group of people, come up to Jesus. And, and it's this centurion. He comes up to Jesus and he has a request. He wants Jesus to do something for him. And his request is, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. I want us to just think a little bit about this story for the, this morning for a little bit because, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, I think, describes what the kingdom of God or the Christian life is all about. The story about the centurion describes how we get that kind of life so he comes up he has he has this request about his servant now it's interesting when we think about this passage and i hope you'll have a think about it later and i actually have some questions uh, that i could distribute later so that you can in your discussion groups have a think about it because this story happens twice in the bible matthew records it and luke records it so in luke chapter 7 same story, but slightly different. In Luke's account of the story, it's not the centurion himself. It's a group of Jewish elders who come on the centurion's behalf. Sort of like a delegation. So uh, that's not an example of the Bible's contradicting itself. It's an example of the focus of the two different authors. So Luke tells us that it's a group of Jewish elders who come and they say to Jesus... This servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. He's in real trouble. Now, this, the centurion's care for his servant is extraordinary because in that day and age, your servant was pretty much like your car. Now, I know some of you treat your cars well. Some of you, maybe not so much. You know, we... We have a car and it works and we get in and we use it and if it doesn't work, well, you know, we just send it to the mechanic and they fix it up and then we keep using it however we want to and that's kind of how the people in that day and age would treat their servants. You buy a servant with money, you get them to do stuff. If they get sick or they don't work very well, you can do whatever you like with them and uh, you can get rid of them if you want and get another one. 
you're wealthy enough, you, you know, a servant is your possession. So the fact that this centurion actually cares about his servant, that, that says something already about this guy. In, in fact, it's interesting that in the New Testament, every time the New Testament talks about a centurion, uh, they talk about him with respect. They're, they're, they're very decent people. They talk about them positively. You know, the Jews didn't like the Romans. There was this tension going on. But the centurions were very decent people. Uh, if you think about at the cross, there was a centurion at the cross when Jesus was hung up to die. And that, that was the guy who said, surely this must be the Son of God. You think about Cornelius, who Et preached about some weeks ago. He was a centurion, good bloke. And here we have this centurion who cares about his servant. So he's, he's a quality guy. You know, the Roman, Roman army, was uh, uh, they organised themselves into... They had The, the legion was 6,000 troops and then... Within that 6,000 troops, they'd have centurions over roughly 100 uh, soldiers. Uh, 100, uh, yeah, soldiers. And, and, and uh, so they were re very responsible, wise, diplomatic, intelligent, uh, people who had served, you know, they were faithful, they had, they had risen to that rank because of the quality of their character. So this man was a quality guy. And he had an impressive track record with the Jews. If you compare the Luke story, the Luke's account uh, with the Matthew one, it, that Luke tells us a little bit more because it's the Jews who come on the centurion's behalf. He's still at home. I don't know what he's... Maybe he's looking after his servant. But he comes. And the, 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 the Jewish elders come. And they give this CV, this, this resume of this centurion. They say, he loves our nation and he's built our synagogue. So this Roman centurion had done all of this for this Jewish community. He had showed care for them. He'd actually spent money to actually build a synagogue so that they could worship. Now, Jewish elders don't normally do favours for Roman centurions, but these Jews were happy to come and speak to Jesus. And... Literally, they considered this man worth his weight in gold. It's interesting if you look at uh, Luke chapter, four, chapter 7, verse 4. Uh, it's the same in Matthew. Uh, it, it uses this word deserves. Can you put that up, Mike? In verse 4, it says that the Jewish elders come to Jesus and they say, you need to come and help this guy because his servant's sick because he deserves your attention. You know, the Jewish elders, they were, they were like, look, Jesus, this guy, he cares for us. He's built us a synagogue. He's spent money on us. He's protected us. He deserves your attention. You should go. But then we read a little bit later on in the story, and the centurion himself responds by saying, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Now, you don't really get this in the NIV, but if you read other versions like the ESV or I think even the King James, it uses the word worthy. The Jews come and they say, Jesus, you've got to help this guy because he's worthy of your attention. And then the centurion says, no, 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 don't come into my house because I'm not worthy of you being in my house. Interesting, the difference. I mean... 
you think about the you, you you try to compare the centurion and Jesus, right? You've got this centurion. He is a respectable, powerful, wealthy, intelligent, highly regarded uh, community leader. Jesus is this young, unknown, untrained, kind of random, nobody quite knows what he's going to do, individual from the back. It's a bit like Gavin Pearce, whether you know or not you like Gavin Pearce, I'm not here to talk about the election. It's a bit like Gavin Pearce saying to, you know, a young farmer out the back of a guns plane somewhere, I'm not worthy to come to your house. You get it? It's kind of odd. This is not how the social strata should have worked. And yet he does. That's what he does. He comes to Jesus. He says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to have you in my house. Why? Why would Jesus, why would the centurion have that kind of response? As compared to the Jews, the Jews were like, I don't know, this guy's worthy, you know, he's done this and this and this and this and this and he's all this, you know, you need to go and, like, you know. Why would the centurion respond to that? I suggest to you, it's because he saw who Jesus really was. He had a big view of Jesus. To the Jewish elders, Jesus was a good man. He was a teacher of sorts. He was some kind of prophet. He was some kind of worker of miracles and they couldn't ever figure that out really. I mean, Nicodemus comes to him later and says, you know, what's going on? Why are you doing all these miracles? We don't get it. They couldn't understand. So he was sort of this respectable, you know, good bloke. To the centurion, Jesus was the Lord. That's what he calls him, the Lord. And he was one who had authority at least over sickness. I, I, it'd be interesting to think about what the centurion really knew about Jesus. But he recognised Jesus as a man of mercy, a man of authority, and he had a high view of Jesus. He, 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 had a, he, he knew that Jesus was someone impressive. See, that our problem today, I think our, all of our problems, or our problems with uh, our problems with our own heart, where we struggle with life, largely stem from our view of Jesus and how big Jesus is for us. You know, Jesus can be, for, for so many of us, he can be someone who is kind of handy. Jesus is pretty handy, you know, he's there and you can pray to him and he sometimes answers your prayer. But, you know, that's a bit like a chuck swipe. Chuck swipe's pretty handy. It's there. You can, you know, wipe up a mess. If something, you spill something on the carpet, you can wipe it up. You might need a bit more than a chuck swipe. But, you know, you, he's handy. You, like, you just grab him, he's handy, and then you just, you know, put him back in the, on the sink. Jesus can be like that to so many of us. So he can be, he can be a good teacher. He can be someone who we can go to when we have a need. Or Jesus can be the very lifeblood of our heart, the very 
the one who gives us life, the giver of life, the giver of all hope and peace. I love the Anglican prayer book where there's a prayer in there that it says, we are not worthy even to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord whose nature is always to have mercy. Jesus, the centurion recognised that Jesus worked. He recognised just how amazing Jesus was. And he came to Jesus with his need. You know, I think often we feel like we don't, like we need to be worthy enough to actually come to Jesus. We often feel like we need to measure up somehow to be able to come and ask Jesus for things. We feel sometimes like we, you know, we we need to be reading the Bible and we need to be uh, having a, a life that's full of, that's all, you know, it's, everything's right and we're not kind of getting into any sin. We need to be uh, a respectable kind of person who comes to church all the time and, and then Jesus will answer our, problem, our, our needs. And then Jesus will meet us where we are. We kind of think that we need to be worthy and we need to, to live up to some sort of standard. But, you know, this story tell, shows us that that centurion, he was, he was not worthy of Jesus' time. He was not worthy. He didn't even know that Jesus was the saviour of the world. There's so much he didn't know about Jesus and yet he comes to Jesus and Jesus responds to him. I've been having to think about... uh, Can you put up the next one, Mike? Um, Sorry, no, that one. Go back to that one. Sorry, yeah. Go back one. This story, if this story is telling, showing us how we are to attain the Christian life, the first thing that we learn in there is that we need to, the, the Christian life comes by coming to Jesus. That's the first step. That's what the centurion does. And then secondly, we come to Jesus in humility. Jess was talking about that in the introduction. But this man comes, he knows he's not worthy. And we can come to Jesus even though we are not worthy, even though we don't measure up, even though our life is not what it should be and not all that even God would want it to be. But we can come in humility to meet with Jesus. The centurion comes to Jesus knowing he's not worthy and yet confident in Jesus' authority to deal with the situation. That's what faith is. Faith is confidence in Jesus' authority. It's interesting, isn't it, this centurion, he he talks about authority in that passage. He says, I understand authority. I I get it. I've got people under me. I tell this person, go, and that he goes. I tell this person, you know, I want a flat white with, uh, you know, one sugar, and he goes and gets it. Like I tell, he he understands authority. He understands how things work. And he recognises that in Jesus. I guess he'd heard of Jesus' authority. Uh, Maybe he'd heard of Jesus healing people. Maybe he'd heard of Jesus casting out demons. Uh, Maybe, and we read in the New Testament so many more stories. Who knows what the centurion knew about Jesus' authority. But we read so many things in the New Testament, don't we, about Jesus' authority. He has authority to teach. He has authority over nature. Remember that story when he's in the boat and he calms the wind and the waves? 
He has authority over nature. He has authority over sickness. He has authority over demons. He tells demons to get out and they don't argue with him. They just go. Jesus is the one with authority. And this man recognizes this. He comes to Jesus and he recognizes this. And so he's confident, so confident in Jesus' authority that he comes second time. Jesus is on his way now to the centurion's house. And the man sends another delegation and he says, you don't even come to my house because I'm not worthy of you to be under my roof. He says, just say the word. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. He's so confident that Jesus can do what he's asking him to do that he doesn't need Jesus to come and, you know, kind of do some, kind of lay hands on him or something. He says, just say the word and my servant will be healed. This impresses Jesus. He's seen all sorts of responses to his ministry in his short amount of time to this point that he's been ministering, but never has he seen such faith as this, such confidence in who Jesus is. I wonder in our lives what authority Jesus has for you and me. Does Jesus have the authority to heal when there's sickness? Does he guide your decisions? Does he have authority to do what he wants to in your life? You know, we are so good at deciding for ourselves what we want in our life and how our life should go. I mean, that's what the world is all about. The world teaches us in so many ways. You need to take authority of your life and, you know, take, take responsibility and decide what you're going to do and plan your future, plan your retirement, plan your this and that and the other thing. Do, to what extent do we give Jesus the authority to go, no, you decide what I'm going to do with my finances. You decide what I'm going to do in my next holiday. What, Lord, what, what would you like me to do with my next holiday? What would you like me to do with the weekend that's coming up? What would you like me to do with the, the work that I have? Or any, any situation in our life, to what degree do we allow Jesus to have the authority over these aspects of our lives? It's interesting in Hebrews chapter 5, it talks about Jesus learning to obey his Father. Jesus had to learn this. And he learned it through suffering. The difficulties that came into Jesus' life actually taught him to obey his heavenly Father. That's what Hebrews says. Talks about that in verse 8, chapter 5, verse 8. You can have a look at that. He learned through suffering and with every temptation, every step in his life, he grew stronger and his power over the fleshly life grew less. And then, you know, we talk about peace. Well, John chapter 16, verse 33, there's one of my favourite verses. Jesus said, talks to his disciples near the end of his life and he says, I've told you these things, all this stuff, I've told you this, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 
I have overcome the world. Every step of his life, every decision that he had to make, every situation that he was in, he had to overcome the temptation to, for it to be about himself. He had to overcome the temptation to just be, to determine his life in his own, for his own benefit. Every step, every decision, every moment of his life, every relationship, every encounter, he had to turn it, learn to turn it to God, to, to glory to God. And every time he overcame the temptation to sin, the temptation to be selfish, the temptation to just make it about him. And so he, he became victorious. He overcame the world. He overcame the temptations of this world. And that is where peace comes from. Peace. See, we're never going to get rid of trouble. I think this is the, the great revelation for me in this passage is that life is full of mess. I don't like that. I don't like mess at all. I like everything to be neat and tidy and, you know, complete and beautiful. That's what I want life to be like, but it's not. We're not going to get that this side of the grave. It's going to be messy. Relationships are going to be messy. Life is going to be full of disappointments and clouds and thunderstorms and struggles and it's going to be rough. But So peace is not going to come from the absence of that stuff. Peace is not going to come when we work hard enough and have enough money so that we can have everything cut and dried and tidy and neat and you know, settled and perfect. That's not where peace is going to come from. That's unrealistic. That cannot survive in this world. In this world, peace is going to come from knowing that Jesus has overcome all of that. Jesus is in our life to bring us, to bring us the hope that we need. And he brings that despite the mess, despite the murkiness, despite all that is not right about this world. And it's as we have faith in him that we can have that peace. It's as we have the confidence to know Jesus is going to meet my need. So that the last little slide up there is going to say, how do we attain the Christian life? By coming to Jesus in humility, confident that he will meet our needs. Now he's not necessarily, in fact, I can say this categorically, he's not always going to meet our needs in the way we want him and we expect him to. We have so many needs and we come to Jesus with our needs. He's not necessarily going to just go, yep, sorted, fixed. But he will meet every need that we have in the best possible way. That we'll be able to look back on it and go, yeah, that was good. I wanted this, but Jesus gave me this and that was actually better. That was the way that gave me the best life. And then we get the centurion right at the end. He comes to Jesus. Jesus comes. He, he says, don't come into my house. And Jesus then says to him in, in Luke, you get this. Oh, no, no, in Matthew, I think you get this. Verse 13, he says, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. Let it be done just as you believed it would. See, our problem is not that Jesus is inattentive to us. Our problem is not that God is busy and not listening to our prayer. Our problem is that we don't recognize Jesus' authority and we don't 
believe and trust and have the confidence to know that He will meet our needs every single time. That's where our problems come. And that's the challenge for us is to have a faith like this centurion. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we want to just praise you that, that you are the God of our life. Lord, that you are, you are here, you see us, you see every aspect of our lives and you know what we need. Lord Jesus, I praise you that you went to that centurion even though he wasn't one of your people, even though he didn't really know all about what you were like. He didn't understand you fully but you went and you helped him and you provided for him and Lord I just pray that for each one of us Lord that as as we have need wherever our needs are Lord Jesus that you would meet our needs and that you would give us the confidence to believe that you can meet our needs the confidence to believe that you are a God who answers prayer you are a God who who meets us and provides for us and saves us in every sense of that word. Father, would you do a work in our lives and help us as we reflect on this story of the centurion. In Jesus' name, Amen.